All right, sometimes messages from the Word of God are sweet and like candy and honeycomb, and other times they're like cauliflower. Today's going to be one of those days of veggies, but I, won't, I want you to hear, because we're going through the book of Luke, and it just so happens that we're in here today, but you can tell by the title, Jesus is going to give some warnings against self-righteousness, and it is a real trap. It is a bear trap. We have to be aware of it, but at the same time, uh, we also can take some comfort and wisdom and understanding what's really important in your walk with Jesus. Are you with me on that? Because you can't wait everything the same can you? And we're going to discover today that that's not how we do it. Let me start off by saying this. Hypocrites probably do the most damage to the message of Jesus. Would you agree? I mean, to the, non, to the non-believer, to, to the one that didn't grow up in church. They, they think that uh, Christianity is just another religion full of rules, and they don't understand about grace. And so when they see a, a Christian hypocrite, it undermines the message of Jesus. Um, Gandhi said this, and you know, Gandhi lived now, gosh, a long time ago, you know, uh, and he said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. And actually in the Harvard Review back in 1911, somebody from Harvard interviewed him and the, the person that did the interview was a doctor or a doctorate. And basically they came away, well, well, the Christians are just greedy. And that's why it turned Gandhi off. Christians start wars, and that's why uh, Gandhi was turned off. And because you can't say this out of your mouth and then live a life like that. So I, under, I understand hypocrisy, um, but I, I just want to put a, a little footnote next to, to Gandhi's statement. And I believe the type of Christianity Gandhi was exposed to was not pure Christianity, right? Uh, he got a Westernized version. Uh, and sometimes we are guilty of adding to the simple gospel, gospel message, especially during the 1700s, 1800s, when we started sending missionaries out. When I say we, I'm talking about Western civilization. I'm talking about how we sent missionaries to India and to Africa and to China and to Japan and, and the far-flung uh, places of the world. We not only brought Christianity, we brought it packaged in Western culture and Western civilization, because the gospel has been prosperous in every continent, in every time period, with every people group, when it's pure Christianity. But when you add things to Christianity, and you serve it up in the culture that you come from, and you've added to the trappings of it, people say, no, no, I don't like that. And so that, I think, is what Gandhi was exposed to because the gospel is powerful. It works, right? We can be pragmatic for a second. It works. The gospel frees men and women everywhere. But when we Americanize it or Westernize it and make it more look like our culture, we have really done Jesus a disservice. Uh, we've done his message of a uh, disservice. Now, back to hypocrites then. Hypocrites, you know what they are, right? They're two-faced, they're posers, they, they show you something, but inside they're really different. Uh, we can call them an actor, 
in fact, the Greek word actually comes from that whole concept of play acting being an imitation. Now, um, a hypocrite is very different than one who is trying to surrender each moment to Jesus and failing from time to time. There's a big difference, right? A hypocrite knows he or she is being false and pretends to be true, and it's all about appearances. In our text today, we're going to have a Pharisee ask Jesus to dinner. Now, I believe it's a setup. It doesn't say that in our, two, Luke from, uh, our text from Luke, but I think it is because the crowd that is there is all Pharisees and scribes. It's not the common people. It is a Pharisee's house he's being, that he's been invited to dinner. Now, when we first start to read the text, we're going to think, boy, Jesus is being really rude because Jesus is just going to lash out at them like John the Baptist, you brood of vipers kind of mentality. And you think, wow, you get invited over to somebody's house and you sit down and you tell them off. That's what Jesus is about to do. In fact, the text doesn't say it, but I don't think he finishes the dinner. I really think that he says his piece and gets up and walks out. Now, again, it doesn't say that, but you kind of get that towards the end, and you'll, you'll read it for yourself, and you can surmise it for yourself. So um, let me put this other bit of context in it, too. Jesus is running out of time. He has four months before the cross. So he can't dilly-dally around with words. Time is not his friend at this moment in time. So sometimes Jesus is blunt when you're running out of time. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing that Jesus was so blunt and direct because salvation was hanging in the balance for them. And that's why he took it so seriously. If you don't care about somebody, you don't tell them about Jesus, do you? But if you really do care about people and you really do believe that Jesus is the only way, you're going to take those opportunities as you are presented them with the help of the Holy Spirit and love on people in the name of Jesus and give them directions on how to come into that relationship that you have with Jesus so that they can experience that too. So you have your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to start it out at verse 37, picking up exactly where we left off last week. It says this, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with them. So he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. <gasps> Jesus didn't wash. Now, let me just stop right here. It's not that he didn't have clean hands. You know, he had clean hands. It is talking about the ceremonial washing that every good Pharisee would have. And there was an elaborate way. You had to do it so many times. You had to have your hands up. You had to have your hands down. It had to be poured over. It was this big ordeal. It's for show. And Jesus walks in and sits down to table, rubs his hands maybe, and says, let's eat. And they freak out. Why? And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Greetings, host. <laughs> and then he calls them, my version says, you fools. 
Now, fool in the Old Testament meant you were a sinner. Especially out of the Proverbs and out of the Psalms, fool meant that you were somebody in rebellion against God. You were deliberately sinning. You were a fool. And Jesus says, you fools. Did he not, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. We're just going to stop right there and set the stage here. Number one, they accuse Jesus of ritual uncleanliness. And Jesus flips the script and basically accuses them of spiritual uncleanliness. They appear clean on the outside, but man, they are filthy on the inside. Now, this phrase, go back to the text. I don't know how your version reads. I'm reading out of the ESV, but it says, Give as alms those that are within. Kind of a weird cryptic statement, and, and just as a little bit of study I've done this week, nobody really knows what it means. <laughs> they think it might have been an Aramaic saying. Other people think that it's actually referring back to the word greed, because Jesus says, you are full of greed, therefore give away your money, give alms, and that will counteract the greed that's inside. Now, in Matthew's version of this story, he basically says, clean the inside of your heart, and then the outside will follow. So just to, to let you know about that. So um, it's just an obscure saying, but it, it really has to do with cleansing themselves from the inside. Now, there have been estimates that there's about 6,000 Pharisees in Israel at Jesus's time. Okay. Now, you know what a Pharisee was. A Pharisee was somebody who was very, very religious. They spent their entire life dedicated to the Word of God, some studying up to three hours a day the Word of God. And they just were to the point that, that it just consumed them. And they were, they were considered the religious leaders of the day. And part of the Pharisees, so it's not a political party, it is, it's more like a club, okay? You had to go to the right schools and you had to do the right study and it was about prestige. But out of the Pharisees came the lawyers and the scribes. So if you're a scribe or a lawyer, you're automatically a Pharisee, okay? And so we don't know how many people are there that are scribes and lawyers, but we know this man was a Pharisee. And they've dedicated themselves not only to God's teaching, but to the rabbi's teachings and to the Mishnah, to the commentary on God's word and to the Talmud. And they were just consumed with expanding the word of God. And so they were the religious leaders of the day. And part of the reason is this. After the Jews were exiled and they came back from Babylon, and there's about four, five hundred years before the birth of Jesus, God does not send a prophet. There are no more prophets. So there's a power vacuum, or maybe we should say a knowledge vacuum. Who's going to lead us religiously? Before, God was always good about sending a prophet, and now no prophets. And so it was put upon the scribes, or they took it upon themselves to say, oh, we're now the religious authority in the, law, in the, in the land. And that's how they became a position of power. And out of the groups, 
they probably were the best. I hate to say that, but they were better than the Sadducees. They're better than the Essenes. They're better than the Zealots. They're better than the, the fringe groups. And so the bulk of the people respected, honored, and venerated the people that walked around with big tassels and phylacteries where they would write. God told them to write the word of God on their, on their wrist and in their, on their head. And it was a metaphor to always be in the word of God, but they actually took it literally. And so they made little boxes and they put it on their head and they put it on their arms. And if you really wanted to be a show off, you made it bigger than everybody else's, right? It's like the bigger the house, the bigger the box, the better I am, you know? And so they got caught up in that. Now, Jesus rebuked them harshly. Their outside behavior wasn't lining up with their heart. And he called them those fools. And it, it, it's kind of like, um, you know how we do head, heart, hand? It's like they start with hand. And they never go back to the heart. So they're, they're good about looking good. But their heart is unchanged. Now, Somebody has once said, the way to clean up a potty mouth is not to brush your teeth, right? But to cleanse the heart. Did you ever have to have your mouth washed out with soap? Raise your hand if you did. Yeah, it wasn't pleasant, was it? Now, did that really help your heart? <laughs> no. How many of you saw the Christmas story and little Ralphie comes in blind because of life, boy? Okay, I'm just going off track there. The way to clean up a potty mouth is not to brush your teeth. That would be silly. That would be foolish. You have to cleanse the heart, right? And so there's a big difference. Well, I, I should say that's why there's a difference between a new Christian struggling with their flesh that is trying to do right but does wrong occasionally or maybe for a week or a month or a year. It's backsliding. Okay, you ladies wear makeup, right? Some of you do, right? I believe that when you're a Christian and you're dealing with anger and you know you have this big zit right here or a big zit right here, what do you ladies do? You cover it, right? Okay, there's a big difference from saying, I realize I'm ugly right here. I realize that my ugliness is lust. My ugliness is anger. My ugliness is greed. My ugliness, whatever your ugliness is in Christianity, and you cover it up because you're ashamed of it. See, that's the thing. You're ashamed of it. Okay, that's just being a Christian. A hypocrite says, I know of my lust. I know of my anger. I know of my self-righteousness. But instead of putting a little dab of makeup on, they wear a mask. That's perfect. That's self-righteousness. And that's what has Jesus so fired up. And, and so, oh goodness. Let's go on to the next verse. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These ought to have been done without neglecting the others. Here's the very first fill in the blank. Because Jesus is going to pronounce now six woes against the Pharisees, looking on the outside so good, but far from God. And they really are warnings to us. 
so that we don't fall into the trap of self-righteousness. You saw it, you major in the minors and you minor in the majors, right? Could you imagine these guys in their big robes and their big phylacteries and, and scrolls and the tassels and they're out in their garden and they're counting one dill leaf, two dill leaves, three, or let's, we're in New Mexico, one cilantro leaf, one cilantro leaf, and they're counting up all the cilantro in their garden. And then they, they come up with 534 leaves. So they take five, uh, they take 54.3 leaves and then take it to the temple and give it. That's what Jesus is accusing them of doing. Really? Really? Uh, it, it's like... It's like tithing pennies. Uh, maybe that's not the right phraseology. It's how, how many of you, when you get changed back and you got a bunch of pennies, do you want them? Seriously, do you want them? Okay, one person does. We're going to give all our pennies to you, Mitch. <laughs> I would rather leave them with the cashier because I do not want them in my pocket. Okay, why? Pennies are worthless, aren't they? They just really are. I mean, yeah, back in the day they had real copper in them. Today they're not even copper. They're zinc. They're, they're weightless. And, and yet these guys are obsessed with the pennies, but reject the weightier issues of God's word. Love, justice, mercy, forgiveness helping the poor, doing what's right. They are so fixated on every little dot and tittle in the law, and yet they're blind. What did Jesus say? You, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a what? A camel. A camel. Oh, my stars. In fact, in, in, in Micah, and you don't have to turn there, but this is what Micah says says, what shall I come before the Lord with and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and a calf a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I mean, this is really a philosophical discussion here. And he says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what it's about. You, you, you can't major in the minors. That's what self-righteous people do. They go off tangent and they miss the big picture of what's really going on. You know, with maturity comes transformation. Say amen to that. Man, I'm so glad. You know, you grow up, you grow older, you get wiser, you begin to see that uh, you're moving on your faith journey. Um, your discernment grows, right? Your dysfunction wanes, your purpose clarifies, and your peace multiplies. That's what happens, and it takes time, right? But hypocrites, they don't look for the wins, they look for the losses. 
They look for the losses in someone's life and don't even see, oh man, you're, you're great at forgiveness. You're great at not being greedy. You're great at being generous. You're great. I, no, no, you did something that does not measure up to me. Therefore, you didn't wash your hands properly. Doesn't matter if you raise the dead, right? You didn't wash properly out of my house. Wow. And so you cannot, and this is our warning. Guys, we can't major in the minors. We got to always major on the things of God, not the the piddly things. Because in time, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. He's cleaning your garden. He's taking care of those little things that you might be even blind to. You know, they had a sacrifice in the Old Testament, and it was for all the things that they didn't know they were doing wrong. You're doing things wrong right now, but should you be condemned for it? No, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he reveals those things to you. He reveals them to you. And you mature in time and you transform in time and the dysfunction wanes and your grace grows and your forgiveness. And you start being more and more like Jesus. Self-righteous people will look for the do not do list. Never the do list. And that, that becomes a stumbling block. Let's go back to the text. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Here's the second fill in the blank. Uh, what was that last slide? I forgot what it was. Oh, okay, great. I didn't know I had a slide. Thank you, Heather. So here, here's the fill in the blank number two. You have an overinflated self-importance, which is just pride. Man, he says this, you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. I want to be up front. I want to be recognized. I have something to say. I am important. I have studied. I am closer to God than you. Look at me and look how wonderful I am. And self-righteous people are concerned about their reputations. And they want people to see their religiousness. I shared this quote yesterday, but reputation is what people think we are, but character is what God knows we are. Let me say that again. Reputation is what people think we are, but character is what God knows we are. Isn't that a good quote? I, I don't know who it's attributed to, but I read it and I thought, oh, I like that. You know, and it's about putting this false thing about how religious we are. See, bride blinds you to having a a teachable spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard of the seven deadly sins. Have you ever heard of the de seven de deadly sins? I think it's more of a, a, a Catholic thing, but all seven are found in scripture. But the number one is pride. And it seems like all the rest kind of follow. Greed, lust, anger, sloth, gluttony, all those things kind of fall into place. But pride is where self-righteousness roots in. And that is the exact sin that happened in the garden. That's why it is so troubling to see people fall into the trap of Satan. It is the original trap, and that is pride. Jesus said, you are full of greed and wickedness, and self-importance is a type of greed. Greedy for attention, greedy for recognition, greedy for people to revere you, greedy for others to know how godly you are. Well, let's get back to the text. Again, this is like eating veggies. 
Number four, 44, verse 44, Woe to you, you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. What Jesus is referring to, if you're an Israelite and you touched a dead body, let alone you could touch or walk over a grave and you were considered unclean for seven days and you had to go through a, a purification process. And he says, you guys are walking around contaminating all these people. You're supposed, you're leaders. Isn't that what he says to Nicodemus? You, don't you know this? And you're a teacher of Israel and you don't even understand what I'm telling you? And he says, instead of helping people on their faith journey, you're doing what? You're defiling them. That's what self-righteous people do. So here's the next fill in the blank. You are a bad witness for Christ. You're a bad witness for Christ. Instead of helping people find Jesus, you actually push people away from Jesus. How many of you remember from your high school days, Typhoid Mary? No, she wasn't in your high school. <laughs> Do you remember? How many of you remember reading about Typhoid Mary? She was a cook who spread typhoid, I think in New York, I believe it was New York, she didn't wash her hands after she used the bathroom. And she was a cook. They know for certain three people died because of her, but the estimates are as high as over 50. And countless other people got sick because she was supposed to be feeding them food and bringing them health. And what she was doing was bringing them death. That's what a self-righteous person does. They're a bad witness for Jesus. And instead of helping people, they hurt people. They spread their ugliness of the gospel of performance, their gospel of works, their gospel of self-achievement. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the tax collector and the Pharisee? The Pharisee went down and said, oh, I'm so awesome, God! I give! I do these wonderful things! And then the tax collector was off in the corner with his head down. He was beating his breast and he said, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And Jesus said, guess who went home justified? The self-righteous one? Or the sinner? You know the answer, don't you? When you're a bad witness for Christ and you spread and defile others by sucking them into a self-righteous lifestyle and you treat people not that do not live within your religious belief system, the text says you treat them with contempt. We've had people in our own lives that have treated us with contempt because we don't follow their hand washing, you know, and uh, it's tough. It's tough. Verse 45. Oh, good old Jesus. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. I love it. I just love it. <laughs> Jesus is going to tell you what you want to hear. No, he's going to tell you what you need to hear. He's going to tell you the truth. And what does he say? And he says, verse 46, Woe to you lawyers! I just love, I, I just imagine him going this way and then spinning and going this way and, and said, Woe to you lawyers! He says this, You load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Here's the next fill in the blank. 
you create non-biblical standards. In Matthew 23, Jesus said it this way, you tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The self-righteous Pharisees interpreted and commented on God's straightforward laws into a pretzel and made life a drudgery. And God went from being a personal being that you could have a relationship to a list of rules. It's the old adage, if two aspirins are good, then the whole bottle must be better, right? If God's two rules, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, if those two rules are good, then a thousand rules must be better, right? They promote the false notions, they obscure God's truth, they pervert his righteousness for the sake of their pride. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15. He said, for the sake of your traditions... The way you think people ought to live, you have made void the word of God. And so self-righteous people rebuke others for not following their rules and opinions, and they pile on guilt and shame and manipulation. All right, we're bogging down. We need to go back to the text. Verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Here's probably the biggest thing that self-righteous people do. And if you're guilty of it, I'm going to come and slap you upside the head, okay? Here it is. Here's the next fill in the blank. You tear others down to elevate yourself. You tear others down to elevate yourself. Attack the righteous. That's what happens. Poor Zechariah. He was a prophet. God told him, go tell the people, you need to repent. You need to get right. And the king said, I don't like that message. So stone him. And he was actually at church, if you want to say. He was at church when he got affronted, when he got accosted. He was at church. He was in the lobby when it happened. He was in the sanctuary, not in the sanctuary. He was in the court of the sanctuary when they stoned him to death. And Jesus said, you guys are going to be guilty It's like when you're kind to a self-righteous person, they turn and tear you down. They turn and tear you apart. Now, back to the text, verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Verse, I mean, the next fill in the blank is you complicate the simple. You complicate the simple. And that would be just God's word or the gospel. How hard is it? Love others and, and love God. Die to your flesh. Live for Jesus. Pretty simple, right? Pride and greed and lust and anger and gluttony and sloth. Those are heart issues that defile a man. Not because I didn't wash my hands or, or some other trivial little thing. 
you know how complicated it would be to, for me to go to my pomegranate bush tree and open them up and count every little seed and give a 10% to the Lord? And yet that's what they focus on. And then give nothing to my hungry neighbor? That's what they're guilty of. They're guilty of the big heart issues. God says no idols, so you have to get rid of everything because anything could be an idol, right? Hey, God said no idols, so you got to get rid of this and you got to get rid of this. Well, it's not an idol to me. Oh, but it is. No, it's not. It's a heart issue. I have no problems letting my Harley sit in my, motor, in my garage for a year. I'm not, I, it's okay. Well, you have to get rid of it because it's becoming not. Well, no, it's not. It's not. My sewing machine's not an idol. Right now it's a curse, but that's another thing. <laughs> I'm learning it. See, if, if you extrapolate and you expand God's love God, love others, and now everything is an idol, then you have to get rid of everything. That's an easy way to live, right? Let's just have a thousand rules, and then we can all be perfect. That's not what God wants. God wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. All those things will be added unto you, right? Seek what? The kingdom first. And all those other things will be beautifully added onto you. Self-righteousness is a trap of the devil, isn't it? It's a trap of the devil. Then he goes on. Verse 53, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. That's what self-righteous people do. There's no fill in the blank, but they want to trap you in something that you say so they can justify their righteousness. Now, what's our takeaway from all this? I mean, this is like, this is not an FTD, pick me up flower bouquet kind of message. It is, wait, Jesus is warning us. Because the longer you walk with Christ, the easier it is to kind of feel superior to those newbies that are coming up. You know, new Christians, they have dirty diapers, don't they? Yeah. Does Jesus ever tell you to clean the fish before you catch the fish? No, you catch the fish and then God cleans the fish. God caught all of you, hopefully. God caught you and now you're in this process of sanctification, fancy word, of discipleship, of dying to self and letting God live in you. Amen? And it's a process. You will never get to a point where you will flip the switch and say, I've arrived, I'm done, I'm perfect, I'm great. That's what self-righteous people do. They start trusting in their works again instead of the cross of Christ. Never do that. You have to pursue Jesus. If you're doing any one of these things, stop it. If you're, if you're pursuing a list of rules and not pursuing a relationship with Jesus, you've lost already. You will fall into the trap of self-righteousness. It is a 400-pound steel bear trap that will nip you, and the only way out is to chew off your ankle, okay? And that's why you have to pursue not rules, but pursue Jesus. And then you know what happens? 
When you're living life and you work at a, a, a public place and people know you're a Christian, but you lose your anger one day, but 99% of the time you're okay, do you know what? They see that as real, as authentic, as transparent, especially if you have a chance to come back and say, I'm sorry for blowing you up at you, boss, and calling you names behind your back. Oh, you did what? That's not hypocrisy, that's makeup. Wear makeup. I'm okay with wearing makeup. If you know what I mean right now. <laughs> because we have faults that we're ashamed of and we're working on them, right? Don't wear a mask. Be real and authentic and transparent because that's what the world wants to see. Somebody that is moving out of deep dysfunction to less dysfunction, to healthiness, to peace, to joy. And we can't do that following a list of rules. Head, heart, hand, not hand. What God's word says to me, my relationship with Jesus, I wanna be faithful in. That's not legalistic, that's just transformation. Pursue Jesus, not rules. Jesus said this to the self-righteous Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, we can even make this an idol and we start worshiping the words instead of who the words talk about, Jesus. So per two, Pursue Jesus. He's, he's the autocorrect spelling in your life. I know some of you don't like autocorrect spelling, right? You hate it. You probably all hate it. But when you do this, he automatically starts correcting those behaviors that may be offensive that you don't even know are to him. God gives you wisdom. Do you think that God brings you to his kingdom and then drops you off at the first curb and says, figure it out? He doesn't do that. And self-righteousness offers that. And you have to stay wary of it. Uh, man, I, I struggled, you know, uh, on how to close this message. And the only thing I can say is, man, pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Forget the rules. Pursue Jesus, and he'll take care of the behavior. He'll take care of the discernment on what should be purged from your life because there are things that need to be purged from your life, and there are things that need to be brought into your life. And he's the one that reveals that to you, not someone that's going off of their own rules. Let me pray. Father God, oh, wow, Lord. What a different kind of message this was today. And yet you are warning us of tearing other people down, thinking more highly of ourselves, wanting to be the center of the attention, thinking that somehow we can add to the cross of Christ and we start to forget our first love. Father, let us not be guilty of that. No, no. Let us be able to know that we pursue you each and every moment and you are the one because you said that we're your bride and, and it's like a marriage. And, and it's not like, 
we come home to you and you you hand us a list of rules that your wife is supposed to 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 do today but no you lovingly train us you lovingly pursue us you leave the 99 to even find us why wouldn't you think why wouldn't we think that you would be so gentle with us and so we say thank you thank you for your long suffering Thank you for warning us, and thank you for loving us in spite of our ugliness sometimes. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.